This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Uh, Hank here, uh, along with my wonderful co-host and superior, Kyle Myers. I hope that uh, everyone is having a wonderful Advent slash Christmas season as we are heading into that time of the church calendar. Uh, we're here, and hopefully you're uh, listening to us uh, in a very relaxing evening, maybe even closely uh, tied to your Christmas traditions, but we're glad that you're spending some time here with us. We're covering a great movie today, but before we get too far down the road, Kyle, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. Um, resting and enjoying break, I think. And, Absolutely. You know, trying to figure out break. That's always a transition. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you rest well? I know that's a weird question mm. to ask, but like, yeah, obviously it's go, go, go for so long and then break for yeah, about right. like a month or so, or like or at least a couple of weeks. Well, um, so yeah, I mean, I wrestle with things like ADHD and stuff, whatever, which impacts both busy and not busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not busy basically me in order for me to really relax, I have to like find a discipline and mm-hmm. a rhythm and stick to it. Otherwise I feel kind of all over the place and, um, frustrated with the lack of focus. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but if I can get a, a good rhythm going, you know, uh, day, to, you know, especially in morning, afternoon, evening, kind of split it up into threes. I can usually do okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have you found like a good rhythm for you, like in terms of like this is what rest looks like, and like this is how I handle these things? Yeah. So it's mostly very physically oriented because I like to, you know, use a lot of time uh, to be in my head, or you know, uh, am too too susceptible to distractions online and, and whatever. But, oh yeah. But a lot of thoughts, you know, going on in my head that I want to do something with, which is actually very difficult. Um, and so I like you know podcasts and ways mm-hmm. to actually you know engage. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, for me, it's like very physical, like whether that's cleaning the kitchen or doing hot yoga, mm-hmm. um, going out you know for a walk. Uh, something like that and then in the evening allowing for more of the like you know sitting and Mm -hmm. watching Mm -hmm. or um, doing something you know with that Mm -hmm. Um, and anyways but if I can find you know get a good you know thread or whatever with writing that can be very helpful but also frustrating if it doesn't go anywhere oh yeah um, and then that can kind of throw me off so but if I have these other things in place you know I tend to feel better Mm-hmm. Um, and rest better at nighttime. So I think that's a core part of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and this time of year, especially like there's, um, I mean, with Christmas, there's a lot to keep you busy, a lot to keep you distracted in a certain sense. But I mean, it's also a time where you can establish some really interesting rhythms. I mean, Advent, obviously a season of waiting, um, but it's not like a passive waiting. It's an active preparation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we were talking about uh, for our listeners, uh, Kyle and I were talking about the uh, the differences that uh, sometimes our families feel between kind of the more commercial side of the holiday mm-hmm. with Santa Claus and all that stuff, and then uh, the uh, Advent season. Um, and I I think that a good balance is like if you like listening to Christmas music, like after Halloween up until Christmas Day, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. also Advent's great, and those things don't have to be in competition with one another, but. That's my hill. I guess I'll die. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, that's kind of where it's at. Uh, well, there's lots of cool things coming in in the movie world, um, but some things that are just kind of returners. I mean, I know that um, usually around the gateway, they I don't know if they're doing it again this year. They uh, do the um, mm-hmm. uh, It's a Wonderful Life mm-hmm. um, on I forget what millimeter they're doing it on, but do yeah. You- well, typically, yeah, 35. 35, um, yeah. Every once in a while, something will be on 70 millimeter, like yeah. Lawrence of Arabia or something big. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, this year they're doing a, a toy drive. Um, so all the Christmas movies, which they are showing, mm-hmm. um, are none of them are in 35 millimeter, just typical uh, whatever digital presentation. Right. Um, and so, but if you bring a toy, you can see the movie for free. Oh. Yeah. So it's a donation-based uh, thing, which you can read about on their website. Um, but yeah, so and it's wonderful. Life is still to come. Yeah, yeah. That's one uh, all-time favorite Christmas movie for me is that is that movie right there. 
Yeah, 100. Well, uh, speaking of movies, uh, what are you watching right now, Kyle, as we're kind of diving into uh, our podcast for today? Yeah, well, two things. Speaking of 35 millimeter, uh, my 14-year-old son, Francis, uh, who's in part named after Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, okay. Um, and, but he and I went to see The Thing mm-hmm. in 35 millimeter. Nice. Um, which is, you know, part of the great science fiction genre uh, in, in American cinema and world cinema. Um, and in the subgenre, the, this thing at least plays a little bit into the body snatcher mm-hmm. subgenre, which is something we could explore. That's at some right. Point. Uh, one of my favorite <clears throat> subgenres for sure. Anyways, that's always a great experience on the big screen, uh, no matter what. But the 35 millimeter was it seemed like it was extra scratchy, um, so I really enjoyed that uh, uh, through watching the film. And then also I watched uh, Francis Ford Coppola's film uh, The Cotton Club mm. um, from is that right? Is that what that's called? Um, from 1984 with okay. Richard Gere and another yeah, Cotton Club uh, and Nicolas Cage because I'm always trying to you know watch all the Nick Cage films. that's right that's right uh, anyways Cotton Club is very good um, and I had not seen that one before mm-hmm. but I was impressed by it's basically kind of a, a drama and musical and these paralleling two sets of, of um, siblings brothers mm-hmm. um, in the African-American Harlem and in the uh, typical Caucasian mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very interesting dynamic made context is 1920s Harlem. And yeah. so really interesting uh, film. Yeah. Yeah, very honest film and, and very, yeah, but I don't know, a lot to say about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, you were dealing with, I actually wrote down that body snatcher theme because I'm genuinely intrigued by this and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to do this now. I love body snatcher. But um, yeah. I love that idea. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned the director we'll be talking about today. I mean, in some sense, like his, he's known for the Godfather, but in essence, the uh, has this quite res- like quite of a resume of other films that are also Absolutely. really powerful for us to consider uh, thinking through as well. And so... Um, highly recommend those films to you. Uh, Kyle's obviously just shared a bit, and I think that it's worth uh, checking out. But without delaying too much further... Well, what, what have you been watching? Oh, what have I been watching? Yeah. Oh, you know, not too much, I'll be honest. Uh, Elf. <laughs> Elf, yeah. Like, I mean, just really, like, I have a list. I don't know if you've ever uh, done this, but, like, every every year around Christmas time, I have, like, this list of, like, about a dozen movies I need to make sure mm. I watch. Um, and Elf is on that list, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but just some other fun things. Like, some are really just, like, um, not even, like, uh, Christmas movies. Like, one of them is The Godfather, um, for example. Like, I, I watched that because the first time I ever watched it was um, was on was around Christmas. And, I mean, obviously Christmas happens during this film, but... I mean, it's the great line, like, what constitutes a Christmas movie? Is it a Christmas theme, or is it, like, that Christmas occurs during the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I also watched Avatar last night, because I'm going to watch the uh, new Avatar tonight. Um, I still haven't decided whether or not I'm going to do a review on that, so maybe keep your eye out. I don't know. But the uh, I'll be watching that tonight, um, which has been a – it's just going to be a big thing. I also watched, I think I mentioned last time, The Menu. Um, and a few other kind of films that have uh, come out, like uh, Aubrey Plaza's in this new movie called Emily the Criminal, and I've mm-hmm. started that. And it looks really interesting. I just love Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. I, I just find her hilarious. Intriguing, yeah, yeah, actress. Yeah, very much so. And I feel like has more range than people give her credit mm-hmm. for because she's always played kind of more of like the humor side of things. But I think she's, I think she's very talented. I don't know. Um, sure. And so a couple of those things have been really good. Um, but this time of year, I mean, I've been immersed just in old school Christmas movies. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, my Christmas tradition mm-hmm. is every Christmas Eve watching um, It's Wonderful Life uh, with my family, which I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. no, no, right on, man. And so I guess, is The Godfather a Christmas movie? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> because right. I, don't, I don't know what kind of Christmas message this is yeah, trying right. to. But at the same time, you know, like, I, I think that, I mean, the argument that won me over in the famous Die Hard conversation, especially when we had last year, was that um, Die Hard is basically like Home Alone for adults. Yeah, um, sure. Which makes, <laughs> it makes too right. much sense to me. Like, that just clicked almost immediately. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Um 
But uh, also, did I say that? Uh, it it might have been you. Yeah, it might have been you because it it looks like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things about the the Home Alone thing, though, if you have time this season and if you enjoy those films, is there's a if you go on YouTube, there's a uh, I think uh, Screen Junkies did this, where they like had doctors watch the first two Home Alone films along just to see how many Marvs <laughs> and uh, would it would take to survive, like right. to actually make it through. And then one that's hilarious is the in two where he keeps throwing the bricks off the top of that two story. <laughs> like he's dead every time. Like there's no way he survives that. Yep. And that's just one of my favorite things, just like de- dead, sub- <laughs> subdermal hematoma. Um, <laughs> and I think that's where I learned what that phrase was, was uh, through that. I'm sure, yeah. Count. So anyway, but yeah, no, um, we're going to say that you, you said that about Die Hard. Yeah, right we're, on. We're going to attribute that to you. Quoted. We're say that. Uh, yeah, quoted, trademarked. Uh, this is, this is, uh, this is the Art House Roadshow. What am I going to say? So Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't think so. Um, I think Christmas happens during it, but I think this is trying to communicate – in some sense, this is more of a – this feels more of like a Lenten movie <laughs> than it does a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's trying to – like, I think it's about self-examination <clears throat> uh, in a certain sense. I think there's a really great argument to be made for that. So do you think it's a Christmas movie? <laughs> uh, d- definitely not from the framework of is it expressing anything about Christmas. That's right. Or Advent outside of um, darkness. Right. Um, obviously. Right, right, and so. yeah, even Lent um, is tough unless you're include unless you're going for the whole trilogy. Right, um, I think that there is definitely a Lenten uh, work, and you could you know argue um, in the overall nine hour journey um, that you know Christmas there is an uh, an Advent to Easter you know potential experience happening mm. there, starting with the darkness. Uh, and being consumed by that darkness. Right. Um, and uh, even though, you know, there's nothing, uh, there's still ultimately a Greek tragedy right. um, altogether. But there is something about, obviously, Michael's personal journey mm-hmm. that uh, that certainly opens up. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so there's that argument there for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah. Uh, but nothing else is really, um, you know, opening up. It really is an anti-Christmas narrative in so so many ways in the beginning of Michael's journey here. I yeah, I mean, you've got the whole, I mean, the culmination of, like, the liturgy of, um, of like, baptism, right? Mm-hmm. With, like, overlaid with, like, him renouncing evil, while, <laughs> evil yeah. while, like, committing it, or at least yeah. carrying out. I think there's something about that that is obviously, like, I, I like the language you use, Advent to Easter, and that kind of moment, like, it's kind of the slow, like, devolving into um, sin of Michael, who's this very straight-up guy when you see him at the beginning. I mean, I, I think that, granted, like, it's, he's a little – he feels a little two-dimensional at times, like Al Pacino does. Um, but I, I feel like he p- pulls off a very interesting performance um, throughout these films that I, I'm very much drawn to. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to be able to operate in the same airspace, and I mentioned this to Kyle before we started – than um marlon brando um i mean that is just to this day like one of the like the, i oh, think man, that's yeah. one of the reasons why i love this film so much is like that performance for me is just so powerful and so profound so but anyway yeah when you can find uh two which is fun francis ford coppola online because you know every five years ten years they get everybody back together and mm-hmm. and tell the same stories that's right <laughs> <laughs> about the movie but the one of the best ones is uh, his initial phone call with Brando mm-hmm. and and Brando uh, sticking all the cotton in his mouth and his cheeks and 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 creating this uh, person this persona mm-hmm. uh, which you know there's you, in all of Brando's performances you're getting a lot of Brando but this one feels a little bit more method than some of the others in terms of his just losing himself in the character completely that and is, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily recognize him as Marlon Brando when you first see him. Yeah. Um, which is different from a lot of his other work and, and, and obviously, you know, won won the award for that, but yeah, incredible. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and just his, yeah, posture, um, his presence in the movie as the Godfather, as Vito, mm-hmm. um, is, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, um, it's never negotiable. You never 
you're never not believing <laughs> that's right <laughs> that he's the godfather that he is who he says he is he there's such authority um in that role mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. phenomenal yeah yeah and i mean some i mean just the absolute like like list of actors that are in this film like that is i mean it's about as stacked as you can get al pacino james con diane keaton i mean robert duvall I mean, and the list goes on. I mean, there's all different kinds of actors. I mean, Talia Shire even. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like no, for sure. And, and so, like, uh, you and know. Pacino was not uh, really well known. He had made a few movies. Yeah. Uh, but Francis Ford Coppola had to uh, argue and get in a power struggle with Paramount to use him, to keep him. And think and De Niro, I think, had also um, auditioned. And oh, of course, wow. Scott, yeah. you know, ended up being the godfather in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but Pacino's not known, and they did not – or, yeah, Pacino's not known, and the studio did not want him. Mm. <laughs> so it was a fight, and there was the one um, scene – it might have been the scene in the restaurant, um, but I think it was previous to that, where they could they saw, like, he was able to show them uh, the strength of his, uh, his character and his coldness and his, yep. you know, what he obviously brings to it. So, yeah. And mm-hmm. I, again, just really well done. I mean, even with, um, like looking at Robert De Niro in that second film, um, again, they're just the performances that I've been to bring to it. I, you know, in my own way, I love Sonny. Like Sonny's one of my favorite, like yeah. side characters. Like I just, I love his just irrational anger. Ultimately, that's what ultimately gets him killed. I mean, again, this is, I mean, you could explore this film through, the seven deadly sins in a certain sense. Um, I mean, most of them are owned by Sonny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which well, is... and what you usually see, you know, in a lot, a uh, lot more of the mafia films from past several mm-hmm. decades, mm-hmm. you know, the Tony Soprano type, who is much more of the Sonny kind of, you know, unhinged. Right. Um, and kind of going to, you know, quickly lose their cool, which right. is very dramatic. Um, but I like and love really that, you know, he is, uh, the oldest son, but not the primary personality mm-hmm. um, at either the beginning or the end of the movie. But that right. Vito, Don Vito, and Michael, <clears throat> but uh, Brando's um, godfather is very non anxious and mm-hmm. in a way he's very loving. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. He's just very secure in who he is. And you see, you know, how all this comes about in the second one, which is fascinating. But um, the way he. Um, treats others this whole idea exploring this ideology of respect Mm -hmm. um and loyalty and friendship oh yeah um and family um all these kinds of notions that are very powerful notions that's right um that don't seem to be even uh exploited Mm -hmm. uh coming from him like Mm. they seem so genuine right they do yeah uh where you know sunny uh is obviously different and then michael we get to see the true exploitation of these things. Oh uh, yeah, and these things, you know, fall fall apart, um, and and are undermined um, yeah. in so many ways through through the first two movies. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, let, I mean, let's just dive into it then a little bit more. I mean, obviously, like I, I want to like kind of yield a little bit of my of the time, mo- more maybe the majority of the time. To your kind of expertise here, I know that you've, um, for our listeners, you can't see this because this is not a video recording. Um, uh, Kyle has brought some wonderful text here that uh, you know he's he's collected from uh, this movie, um, or at least just about this movie. Um, but I mean, you have a lot of expertise. You've read a lot about it. I mean, wh- what are the things that jump out to you about the making of this film, the content of this film? I mean, anything is, is, is all fair game. So mm-hmm. I mean, what are your overall thoughts of this film? Yeah. Well, um, one, it was Francis Ford Coppola directing the uh, parent, and also again, this is coming. This is 1972, right? So this is a fun creative era because the studio system has kind of crumbled and it's rebuilding itself. So there's a lot more space for mm-hmm. uh, independent studios to to rise up and for younger uh, heads of studios to uh, you know create something different. Anyways. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola was chosen, uh, but not necessarily desired either, because he'd mm-hmm. already he had his own independent studio um, that was in debt, mm-hmm. and and him and Luca George Lucas was a part of that, um, and they were struggling, and he'd already made three movies. Anyways, 
uh, The Godfather was this pot boiler, you know, novel that was, you know, very, very popular in the late 60s. Um, and uh, so he didn't, that wasn't the kind of movie he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but as uh, they, they kind of twisted his arm and he thought, well, if this is successful, you know, I can get out of debt. And Lucas kind of pushed him in that direction. Oh, great. Yeah. A good friend. <laughs> Um, at that point, right? And so, uh, but choosing him partly was also a, as an Italian-American right? Um, to, to tell this story and whether or not that, you know, uh, gives it that much more authentic. Yeah. Because uh, well, he's Italian-American, but he wasn't like Scorsese, didn't necessarily grow up amidst, you know, gangster lifestyle. Right, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, but majority of the gangster movie in history, which is, you know, again, one of America's great genres, um, but had been made by any and whatever uh, director in Hollywood. Um, and and had its own kind of, you know, the birth of it all the way back in the silent movies. Right, yeah. Uh, first of all, kind of portrayed the gangster as like this in depressed environment, uh, victim of the environment, kind of a mean streets, you know, kind of depiction. Then you had, uh, this is, all this comes from Scorsese, one of the books that we just referenced. Um, but then the Prohibition era, which is, you know, the gangster, a straight-up powerful criminal, underworld, mm-hmm. um, but made it look attractive, you know, made the criminals, the gangsters look in their ir- immaturity, irresponsibility, right. be disturbingly attractive and humorous and funny and, um, you know, and again, the, the, the nihilism inherent in that, uh, that that was disturbingly attractive, made by Hawks and other directors. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and then the next wave, uh, which brings us to The Godfather, but it had been happening for a couple decades, was more of the tragic figure. Um, and so there's <clears throat> this, you know, formula used by Puzo, writing from, you know, combining real-life stories, but also looking at the framework, the narrative framework, of uh, the gangster as a tragic figure, uh, business, you know, the, the business side of it, um, and certainly just the uh, corrupt systems, not just right. the corrupt individual, right? Yeah, uh, and even the family as a corrupt system. So, anyways, all that, yeah, um, playing into it, in that you know, like you're trapped in this thing, coming back to this distorted sense of loyalty, um, and or exploited sense of loyalty within the family or who you consider family or friends. Um, and what that means or looks like. And The Godfather is a very romantic version of that in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, where Scorsese's Goodfellas is often quoted as, you know, like, this is what it was really like. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was actually pretty ugly. Uh, although Goodfellas also makes it look very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was I often wonder, like, how like this movie would have been different if it would have been directed by Scorsese or some someone like that, you know. Yeah. How how different this film would have been, um, and I mean you see that in even like Scorsese. Scorsese, I mean, recently did The Irishman, right? The yep um, that came out, and so this is still very much um, in the ethos. Um, what's fascinating is as it switches from like the um, uh, the what's it called the uh, um, like the kind of the uh, maybe like Central European um, or even Eastern European. Um, so I mean, just European, I guess, like mm-hmm. gang system to um, more exploring gangs that are um, like uh, kind of really popular in like the city centers of like L.A. and New York today, like ones that are either largely Hispanic or African American, things like that. Those gang movies and how they relate to these 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 older films um, and how they kind of like I'm thinking about like just um, recently just the films that have come out that have kind of tr- tried to explore these systems again. It, tragic character very much still still a central piece of it like those central tropes are still very much a part of it um and things of that nature but yeah i mean it's it's fascinating to see this alongside of something like the sopranos even um to see mm-hmm. the difference between someone like don Vito versus um tony soprano so, right anyway all well that. yeah 100 yeah absolutely well i mean th- this <laughs> film i think that it's it's fascinating to me um the, the story the theological story i see is one of like, because you you mentioned this like language of like attractiveness and nihilism and like obviously those have been themes that like, um, uh, uh, that are not only like a part of like the 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 gang genre but also just stuff we've talked about with a ton of movies. I mean, you yeah, recently, think about, yeah, yeah, like the Joker for example. Like he he presents kind of this attractiveness to 
a certain kind of nihilism. Now, granted, I don't know if you could consider like what Don Vito is doing here as the same kind of thing that what the Joker's doing. He's not inciting disorder. In some sense, like Don Vito is kind of keeping the order together. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, but I mean, at the same time, it's not like a good, like I mean, m- morally praiseworthy life that <laughs> Don Vito's living. You know, at that no, well, level. you know, it's it's uh, painting. You know, it is more of a universal picture uh, in trying to. I mean, Coppola's approach, Puzo's writing it. Um, a lot of it has to do with just the history of America, especially in the 20th century. Um, America and capitalism and it is there's definitely a cynicism uh, to that uh, in you know 72 when it's Mm -hmm. written in the late 60s and and made in the early 70s Mm -hmm. Vietnam um, and the 60s has all happened Mm -hmm. that there is there's room for a cynical perspective Mm -hmm. uh, on you know who America is right and again this family system uh, being a microcosm of larger systems, you know, right. at work and at play, um, <clears throat> as industry just be- is beginning to transition mm-hmm. to technology, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and how easy that that those things have been exploited. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the brilliance of it all is um, that it is pulling on these things that <clears throat> that lure you into it regarding. Uh, if nothing else, security. So you see the building yep. blocks of all of this in part two uh, with De Niro as coming up, you know, uh, creating the Godfather mm-hmm. um, and taking it into his whole, his own hands, holding the strings. That's um, right. As a, as a, uh, as we, we come to know it. And <clears throat> anyways, but yeah, luring you in because uh, <clears throat> our need for security is so powerful. Our need for family is so powerful. Right. Um, our need to, uh, yeah, to, um, to trust, um, Mm -hmm. and to be, to be taken care of. And so, you know, you see this whole system that has been developed, um, surrounding, you know, if you have enough, then, you know, there are always police officers who aren't making enough money and aren't happy enough with their job, but will take a little extra, Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, to buy Christmas for their kids. Um, and look the other way, you know, mm-hmm. this, <clears throat> whatever you can see how easy, especially before the technology we have today, which again, is a funny part of, uh, Sopranos, um, era and certainly the wire, uh, as oh, yeah. you know, how they use technology and that and how that, you know, essentially, um, it, you know, makes it more difficult, mm-hmm. um, to be so easily corrupt and corrupted yeah uh although there are new ways to do that as well obviously but anyways um but at that time an era portraying the 1940s mm-hmm. uh it's just a fascinating time yeah uh, for all those kind of things where you feel like and and, and sunny is your gateway i'm sorry i'm just talking no i love here, it but yeah but sunny is obviously the anxious character like right like you can imagine like yeah you've got these um all this stuff in place um, and Sonny really brings that anxiety, that Tony Soprano anxiety surrounding, right. like, um, you know, I do have to balance these things. They do have to be managed and no, you're not going to take it away from me. And mm-hmm. it's not just like once I have the security, like it's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so everything that it takes to maintain that um, is very dark and distorted. Uh, but up front, from the, the very first, uh, you know, scene, uh, when they talk about um, America, right, and um, with the funeral guy. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and all the things that are going on just in that one scene yeah, um, is phenomenal about, uh, yeah, what's actually attractive. Right. And even just the idea that that's the, you know, daughter's wedding day, and there's a tradition they're following where, you know, no uh, Don or father, whoever, can deny a request, you know, on his daughter's wedding day. <clears throat> He's following, and we're going back and forth into this bright, you know, uh, lovely wedding and into the darkness of his office. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, where he slaps uh, Johnny Fontaine. That's right. For crying. You know, so just all this stuff, manhood. I mean, it's just all there, right? Oh, yeah. Um, that you get to uh, really see and experience in such a visceral 
way that there's just really nothing else like it. Yeah, and I mean, it's I, I think one of the my favorite elements of like that is like first of all, you get to see uh, Marlon Brando's range in that character. Like yeah. he's he's very much this stoic. Yeah, and then when he hits Johnny Fontaine and you know the, the you know, that kind of thing, so like he he explodes, but then goes back into the yeah. like it's never not in control. Yeah, but at the same time, it's the kind of bigness uh, back into this kind of like smallness, and then that leads right into you know him sending uh, the character played by uh, Robert Duvall to kind of get him out of this movie contract deal or get yep. him this part um, so that he could be in this movie and and become a big movie star, and and you get to see like the influence of like uh don corleone you know because that's the infamous yeah, coast like, to coast yeah right and that but like you get the like you get the influence really of like even him uh putting that because this is the famous like the decapitated horse in the bed with the mm-hmm. the, the movie director because he has that kind of power you know and johnny fontaine got into the movie and you know just it shows you kind of really like this i mean you get to really start to fear this character whom you don't really know a ton about yeah. other than like well he's got enough pull to do that across the across the country and so that's that's pretty pretty intense but and uh interesting i mean i've never really done the research on it but johnny fontaine is apparently a stand-in for frank sinatra oh really yeah. okay yeah so some true life uh stuff coming from that and sinatra's own popularity and especially in hollywood and all that oh that's related that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now I know what I'm going to be doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's yep. incredible. Um, well, yeah, I, I, th- I mean, another thing that I, I think about when it relates to like these films, and again, I want to get your opinion on this. Like, um, in a sense, like just going back to Michael, for example. So mm-hmm. Michael's introduced, and again, it's this. It's a really cool way. It's very subtle. They introduce him, and I don't know. I haven't read the book, so I, I'm attributing this all to the director. But they introduce him through this um, lens of like this outsider of the family. He's a war hero, Mm -hmm. very much loved by his father, but you know, not on the inner circle um, of what's going on inside the family. Like Sonny, his brother, very much like in a part of the family, but you know, Michael brings his date Kay to this um, wedding, right? His sister's wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically is having to explain to her all of the things that's true about this family, the kind of the more sinister side of it, the dark side of it. You know, Luca Brazzi's there. Mm-hmm. Again, one of my favorite characters, yeah. even though he's on screen. Short-lived. Involved, like, yeah, I know. Lived. Very short-lived. But I wanted to see more of him because he seemed like this really loyal, interesting character. I yeah. wanted to know his backstory. But anyways, uh, Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. Yeah, piece, that's so. right. Um, anyway, but yeah, like it's it's this interesting character. He's on the outside, and as the movie progresses, he gets further and further involved. Like starts to, you know, he go visit, goes and visits his father in the hospital, and you know does what's necessary to keep his father alive. And then um, he agrees to take the deal, like to take the meeting with the um, uh, the other family, so as to negotiate a peace. When in fact he's there just to murder him and the the crooked police officer, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then ultimately it culminates with him becoming the new Don of the Corleone family, which is a huge like like ascent from where he was. Yep. Um, and for me, that's the like you talked about control. Like he models that control even mm-hmm. more than his father because he consolidates the five families that are over. It sure does. Uh, yeah, and into his own kind of monopoly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the more profound, like, powerful things. Like, he's more controlling even than his father was. Um, he has less um, trust. And, I mean, if, even this culminates even more. This is why I think the first two are just su- such excellent film telling. He even moves this in further. He can't even trust his own brother, Fredo, you know, and has him killed, too. Devastating. Is, it is. It is, right? Like, I just remember feeling like a, sh- like a pain in my gut. Whenever I saw that the first time, like I cannot believe this. Yeah, <laughs> kind of well, situation. the whole way, the whole yeah, it's all filmed. Yeah, and the yeah, all of it is um, so hard. It's yeah, so heavy. Yeah, but yeah. like, what do you think about that kind of descent of Michael in this in this certain sense? Well, so part one in yeah you know, is obviously the ascent. Yeah. Um, part two, we start to get to see things crumble and 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 fall apart. But yeah, I mean. What's interesting about Michael's character in in The Godfather Part 1 is that part of part of the monopolizing part of his joining mm-hmm. um is that he just took it personal. 
yeah. uh, that they shot his father. Right. Um, and because he, you know, had no plans to join and saw himself as separate. And later it's revealed, you know, that um, his his dad wanted him to hold the strings as a senator or a governor. Right. Um, and, you know, also didn't want that life for Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, holds this different affection for him. Right. And uh, but anyways, yeah, it all feels like, um, yeah, conveniently, this is the perfect plan to monopolize this whole thing and right. move to Vegas. Um, but largely, uh, it was like, you're not, I'm not going to let you get away with this. Right. Like, I love my dad and I'm loyal and now I'm in and now everybody's going to suffer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, horrifying, even his, uh, you know, there's kind of the core tragedy uh, within the movie when he's in Sicily and he gets married. Oh yeah. Um, and that whole thing, right. Before coming back and then bringing Kay back in. Um, which in part two is a whole other discussion to, to get into about their relationship. Yeah. Um, and, but, um, but anyways, um, yeah, really fascinating. Even the way he seems to view, uh, and exploit the K situation. Um, yeah. And seemed itself, uh, much colder. And, you know, and just kind of like planning, like putting together the pieces in his mind, mm-hmm. what's going to go where, who's going to do what, um, and the whole thing, right? And then executes, um, you know, profoundly. Yeah. I mean, the, in some sense, the brilliance of, the, of Michael is supposed to be shown during that scene where he is, he is swearing himself to be the godfather to his... Uh, Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, it's it's brilliant because like it's Godfather to his sister's son, um, and during that is when the five families are getting executed, um, and well, yeah, even while some he's of the renouncing the devil. Yeah, that's right. And then right after that, um, kills the husband of the child or the hus- the uh, father of the child that he just becomes Godfather for. Um, you know, I mean, I think that another sense, another fun kind of train of thought to go through through these three movies would be talia shire's character who kind of starts off as like on the outskirts and then in the second movie is kind of the rebel and then in the third movie she's almost kind of like second to michael in terms of her wanting to help the family yeah in a certain sense i think that's a profound shift too but yeah i mean it's uh his genius and, and his sinister genius is kind of displayed there and his even rejection of the having like a consigliere um mm-hmm. who's robert duvall's character for don Vito you know him not having one of those is kind of showing again where he's going with his own um like uh taking over the family so to speak yeah no for sure yeah that they twice both sonny and michael say that uh tom Hagen's the duval character tom is not a wartime conciliation right however you say that um i won't um mess it up but yeah um but consultant right yeah right <laughs> basically uh not a, you're not a wartime consultant right and um and that he's great on the legal end function of the family for you know day-to-day stuff but not for this yeah. and so and he has this you know replaced him with his father for the time being um and in order to obviously know who's who and and what to expect here and, mm-hmm. and how you'll know this and whatever um kind of thing oh yeah yeah right it's it's perfect like i mean that obviously like the um don corleone can give michael that information because he's been a war he's been a wartime don that's right yeah yeah um that's i mean it's powerful i mean it's just really interesting to see that dynamic Uh, i thought it was fascinating i I mean in a certain sense like the the scene where don Vito dies Mm -hmm. you know just chasing his um Mm -hmm. his grandson through these uh tomato plants and everything like that it's really you know for a guy who's built his life on this massive am- empire of crime and violence and death um you know he he dies rather simply playing with his grandson yeah and so he's done somewhat of an affectionate scene yeah again uh kind of clouding um what is ultimately again yeah sinister to use your word yeah um but that's also part of the you know uh, historical love, I think, for the movie is that totally. you do feel affection for these characters. Absolutely. Well, it's a powerful film. It's a powerful film. Um, what else, in terms of like your own appreciation of this film, do you feel like it's worth lifting up for our viewers? Yeah, I mean, another uh, core thing is just the cinematography. 
um, and uh, Willis. I forget the guy's first name, Gordon Willis. Um, yeah. All that legendary cinematographer. Um, but just, you know, uh, this and then later with Kubrick, uh, Kubrick's yes. film, Barry Lyndon, uh, which he created a lens for, uh, or camera, but I think it was a lens to be able to shoot in candlelight in the darkness. Right. Um, but uh, obviously before that, um, The Godfather was this whole other approach to light mm. and darkness mm-hmm. um, in uh, how often... Uh, I mean, there's one scene where it's just <clears throat> Vito. Again, I think it's after Sonny has died. Uh, but the background is just pure black. It's like a black box theater. Mm. Um, there is no other scenery. Like, it's just darkness. Mm. Uh, or, like, half the face will be in shadow, but you can't, even like, even see the other half of the face. You only see the one part that's lit. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, a new era in just um, how... Uh, cameras and lighting and all that worked, mm-hmm. but very expressive. Yeah. Again, in terms of the sinister nature of these things. Yeah. Um, and uh, not just real, more realistic lighting for like the 1940s, right? Yeah. Uh, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also very expressive regarding the underlying darkness. Yeah. Of the movie itself. Yeah, and it's uh, that's such a profound, I think, neglected art when it comes to storytelling. It's just what you even do with the camera, yeah, and the lighting, you know, and those kind of things to communicate. Because I mean, obviously, that scene with Sonny is very dark for him. I mean, he's lost family now, um, you know, his future in a certain sense. I yeah. mean, his son has disappeared somewhere in Sicily, and you know, his, uh, um, you know, obviously, his son, his eldest son, who who gained, who stand stood to gain the entire Corleone Empire. Um, passes as well and so um you know this is not a great moment right <laughs> for him and so yeah that that darkness is very real and palpable just in multiple sense of the word so again it's just one of those neglected features that you know people wouldn't tend to think of so that's yeah. right well cool well I, I, yeah. anyway like i said this film i think is a great allegory for lent because it's a it's i think a a, a period of self ex, of self-reflection michael has to see himself within this kind of trajectory of his life and where he thought he was going and now where he is going. I mean, the remaining films after one is, and in some sense in one too, is him trying to legitimize the Corleone business, but mm-hmm. he keeps getting pulled back into it. I mean, after two, he, and three, I mean, one of the biggest things that I love about this is his own lament of his sin, you know, of, of killing Fredo Mm. Um, for those spoilers, for those of you who haven't seen it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, if you haven't seen it by now, that's on you. Um, and anyway, but yeah, like it's this really profound sense of like confession, self-introspection, uh, or just introspection, self-introspection is a little um, unnecessary, redundant. But <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so th- that's uh, I, I just I love these films for that reason. Oh, well, no doubt, man. Yeah, the again the whole and I think <clears throat> three on its release and, and and since then has always been seen as a lesser godfather i mean the tone is different mm-hmm. um as we're you know talking one and two very much share the the quality the camera qualities that we're talking about mm-hmm. uh visually speaking and so three um looks different altogether and it's also a different pacino right uh, at this point of his career he's he's not the young um uh and his voice is different Anyways, um, so a lot that's changed, and it's fascinating. I love that Coppola was capable, one, of embracing uh, something different and not trying to create, you know, recreate Mm -hmm. Gordon Willis Mm -hmm. in 1972. Um, But uh, lighting it different, using uh, different hues and and number of things that are also expressive. But ultimately, uh, yeah, it gives, uh, gives the really qualifies the whole story as a Greek tragedy, which right. you, <clears throat> you get at the end of two that it's a tragedy. Um, but there's, I mean, it's just, it's just heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and still horrifying, mm-hmm. um, essentially, um, even if it is, you know, for, for Michael, it's devastating. Um, and so there's not a lot to, to do with that, but with the, with the Greek tra- uh, tragedy element of him, uh, losing one of his own children, going through this process of uh, true conviction. Catholicism is obviously through all of the movies, 
um, and it does, <clears throat> you know, have an impact, and it does uh, bring out a whole different kind of element, right, <clears throat> to the storytelling, and and just uh, from a young man to this uh, mature person who is recognizing what he can and can't control. Right. Right. And then you have, you know, this Adonis Creed character. Um, right. Vincent, his, you know, uh, nephew who's from Sonny, but was from one of Sonny's affairs. Right. Right. And um, and who's now, you know, kind of got qualities of both Michael and Sonny coming into the family. Um, and, yeah, so there's just a lot to contend with. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, so they're definitely, you know, uh, it's hard to appreciate three the way that you do one and two because they're so tight um, in so many ways, the first two. Right. Uh, but the right choices were made for three. It shows a lot of maturity for Francis Ford Coppola as right. a director and storyteller as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of beauty in that, and that definitely uh, gives a, a distinct – um uh nature a distinct a distinction from other uh mafia gangster stories we tell right um in in that kind of greek tragedy uh and more a deeper catholicism than you you will even scorsese um couldn't do much with in you know i would say the brutality of raging bull um and in goodfellas uh the best you get from goodfellas is like you know, this is a moral tale. Um, and, but it's pretty abhorrent, yeah, um, totally. all the way through, you know, so it's actually one of my lesser, uh, uh, loved Scorsese movies. Mm -hmm. Um, if I was ranking, it would be closer to the bottom just cause it doesn't do much for me yeah. the way that scored the way I, you know, what I do get from Scorsese. Yeah. Anyways, that's another conversation, but, um, but all that to say, yeah, I do think, um, even as it starts uh, and exists in darkness for for six hours, yeah. Um, yeah, you know that there there is something unique and different about it, and it is again um, uh, to para come back to kind of the American mm -hmm. uh, story itself in the 20th century in particular. You know, three has also holds a lot of weight. Yeah, totally. And I think that the, I mean, the challenge of this film of these films is always to look at it through also in a certain sense, the experience of the American immigrant, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, behind a lot of the stories and why gangs first became what they are. Yeah. You yeah. Know, in a certain sense it was, and still are. Yeah. And still are. Yeah. yeah. I mean like even uh, of all different kinds of um, places, like this is, this is a big part of it. And so, and I think security, like security, like and, and control can be good things, but here this shows when they become warped, you know, from their, like their positive role in kind of our own mental state. But um, in a sense, I think also comparison to Darth Vader and that's like, right. The guy that wanted to control everything who ultimately through trying that loses everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the same for Michael, the tragic character whom, you know, in his attempt to control every contingency um, can't, yeah. you know, and so it's a, it's a very interesting perspective. So it's true, man. And I think that that, you know, brings up a point too uh, that I, uh, enjoy harping on, but you know, Coppola and Lucas, uh, Scorsese, <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. De Palma as well from this era of, you know, kind of the first film school right. brats as they're sometimes referred to, um, film school students in, in love with movies in love with filmmaking in right. love with storytelling, um, and understood, uh, very well the, the historical construct um, in storytelling and the role of redemption in that. Right. Right. <clears throat> the role of tragedy and the Shakespearean qualities mm -hmm. uh, and the biblical qualities of, of those things where a lot of the newer filmmakers um, are very interesting and, and bring um, uh, a lot of gifting, mm -hmm. um, but are not, <clears throat> you know, uh, too many of them seem like they're not allowed to explore that right. larger element and they're keeping it small um, which is its own, you know, kind of statement, right? Um, in terms of the smallness, small-mindedness, uh, secular-mindedness of a lot of the the stories that are not just all kinds of stories are being told, uh, but certainly the ones that are now winning awards, right? Totally, um, and up for awards, you know, reflect that the small secular side of things in a way that yeah. Lucas and and Coppola and these guys who were wild in their time. 
uh, for I mean, just as human beings, obviously, um, and had to you know figure out their own stuff and go through their own spiritual journeys themselves. Uh, but that's often again reflected in their movies, right? Uh, historically, totally. so yeah, yeah, just kind of phenomenal stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I hope that you, if you haven't seen The Godfather, that you will go see it. I think it's worth the time just to kind of explore these themes, of light and dark, and really to see how a director uses, um, n- like, not so like, uh, or actually, who uses very subtle cues to like to help us see what's going on. You see a great performance by Marlon Brando, but a whole like cast of people who are just really giving it their best. I mm-hmm. feel. And so check it out. I think it's good this time of year. Um, but uh, that, that'll about do it for us. Uh, thanks for joining us here on the Art House Roadshow. Um, if you'd like to leave a review, that's the best way to help people find us. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on The Godfather. What do we miss? We'll, we'll probably do more Godfather stuff in the future. Um, but nonetheless, this is great. But uh, we'll see you in the new year with our uh, new podcast. We'll, I, this, we'll decide what we're going to talk about. This Body Snatcher theme, though, I, I really like. So maybe mm-hmm. that'll be what we'll cover in January. But either way, we'll, uh, we'll be back with you shortly. And we hope that you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll see you next time here on the Art House Road Show. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Road Show. We'll see you next time.